Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you again for your word. We thank you that it is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it divides between bone and marrow, Father God. I pray we just reach into our hearts, Lord, and just open us up to what you want to minister to us, Father. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a time of encouragement, a time of exhortation, a time of direction, Lord, a time of just even revealing the calling that you place upon our lives. And Lord, we do again just thank you for your word. We pray that you would be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Title of the message is Our Great High Priest. We know who that is, and tonight we're going to continue to look at, at the tabernacle itself. We're moving actually away from the tabernacle to the priestly garments. Because we, as the last few weeks we've been looking at the, the tabernacle and its furniture and how every bit of it really points to Jesus Christ. But there were priests that served in the tabernacle. And these priests were types or pictures, those in the priestly line, of Jesus as well. And we'll see that tonight. The priests had numerous duties, things that they did in that tabernacle. And those of you who may not have grabbed one we have them on the back, it just shows you the tabernacle itself. It was just basically a really big tent. And inside of it, was a, there was a, an outlying tent area, and inside of it was a smaller tent that was called the Holy Place, and inside of that was the, was the Holy of Holies. And we talked about each one of those furnishings and how every one of them pointed to Christ, and we'll see that again tonight. But the priests that served in the tabernacle had a number of duties. Number one, they were to burn incense on the golden altar twice a day. Remember we talked about the golden altar, the one that was right next to the Holy of Holies, right by the veil, that it's a picture of Jesus Christ, the great intercessor, because they burnt incense. Incense in the Bible is a typology of what? Who remembers? It's prayer. And so it, the, they would burn it as a, a, a prayer offering to God, and it would spill over into the Holy, Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, and it was the priest's duty to keep that lit. They were to maintain the lampstand and the table of showbread. Again, the fact that Jesus is the light of the world and that He is the bread of life, our provision. They were to offer sacrifices at the altar of burnt offering. We looked at this last week, that the first thing you saw when you came to the tabernacle was that big, huge barbecue. You can smell a little bit of it going on outside right now, right? It was kind of a, a we should have done that last week when the altar burnt offering. But you can smell the, the, the burning going on out there. And it's, the same thing was true when you walked into the, the tabernacle. The first thing you saw was this huge altar where there was constant sacrifice being made. And that sacrifice was a, a reminder or a picture of the Lamb of God. And that's Jesus Christ once again. In addition, they were to preside over civil cases and they instructed people in the law. But tonight we're going to see the, the garments that they wore. And we're going to see that God's instruction to Moses about these garments, that there's a reason for it. It's very specific, has application to our lives today, but above all else, it points to Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 3, 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Whenever you see the high priest in the Old Testament, it's a picture of Jesus Christ in the New Testament and a picture of Jesus Christ today. Because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us daily. So as we look at the high priest of the Old Testament, remember again that it all points to Jesus. In John 5, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, and for in them you will have eternal life, and these are which testify of me. Everything in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, every genealogy, anything that's in God's Word, points to Jesus Christ. And so when you look at the Word, we need to be looking for Jesus. I've shared this with you before, that there's a term called hermeneutics. Who's ever heard of the term hermeneutics before? You don't hear me use it because it's, it just confuses people. But it's, it's a principle of biblical interpretation. 
It's interpreting the word, and it's called hermeneutics. But I love what John Corson says. He says we ought to call it hymeneutics. Because what we ought to be doing when we're looking at the Bible is looking for Him. Amen? Looking for Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to be looking for Jesus Christ in the text, that He is our great high priest. So let's look at Exodus 39. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We just finished up looking at the tabernacle and all its furnishings. And now we're going to look at, again, the garments of the priest. Verse 1. It says, "...of the, of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread they made garments of ministry." For ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. The high priest's garments were made of the same material as the door, the gate, the veil, and the bottom layer of the tabernacle. Now remember, what did the Bible say in Hebrews 10? The veil is his what? Who remembers? It's his flesh. It's the flesh of Jesus Christ. It's the very reason that when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil? Who remembers? Split, torn in two, from top to bottom. And the reason that that happened was that now we could enter into that most holy place anywhere and any time because Jesus Christ had paid the price. And so the garments that the, were clothing the high priest were the very same material that was in the veil, that was in the, the screen between the holy, uh, the holy place and the tabernacle, and the, and the initial door that you had to go through to get into the tabernacle. The reason being, again, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. The only way into the tabernacle was through that door that was made of that same material that pointed to Christ. Now, if you're new here tonight, just real brief, briefly, the four colors point to Jesus, and here's how. The blue points to the heavenlies or His deity. The purple, purple always in the Bible and in Old Testament times, and even today in many places, purple points to royalty, and He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see the color scarlet there? That's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The, the, color, the word there is toloth, and it's, a, it's a, a worm that would crawl up and attach itself to a tree, and then it's death. It would reproduce through its death, and basically would leave a red spot there, a picture again of the cross as our Savior was attached to a tree. And then lastly, the white is the fine white linen in it, was a picture of our, our Savior's righteousness. So as they're making these garments, they're going to make them of the very same material that the veil was made of. Now it's interesting to me here that it says in the text, they made the garments of ministry for ministering. You know what? As Christians, God gives us gifts to use for His glory. Amen? He gave them garments of ministry for ministering. He doesn't give us supernatural gifts to use for our own fleshly gain. Amen? For our own will, for our own passion, for our own desire. He gives us gifts that we might use them for His glory. It also says there, in the holy place, and made the holy garments for Aaron. Now remember that Aaron had been called into ministry by God. And remember that he didn't just call Aaron, but he called this whole family. Now we're going to see that they blow it. Aaron already blew it. Remember what happened when they went up on, when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments? He came down and Aaron had made a golden calf. That's not a good thing for your assistant pastor to be doing while you're up talking to God. Amen? You don't want to come back to church and find out that he's making a golden calf. That's not good, right? Fired. But what happened is, in God's grace, we see that God, you know, Aaron, and then Aaron lies. Oh, yeah, we did, you know, this golden calf just popped out of there. Okay, all right, Aaron, now you're a liar too, man. You're double fired. But here's what happened. God had a calling on Aaron, and God showed him grace. And he not only called Aaron, but Aaron's family would be the priestly line. And it's interesting in the Bible that God doesn't call men. He calls families. If a man is called, his whole family is called. When we look at people here or pray about different people that we see God's hand on for ministry, it must not just be the husband that's called, but the entire family. You know, my wife has to be called to 
to be the one that's nudging me out the door Saturday at 3 o'clock to go study for Sunday morning because she knows I need to. Instead of being one that's complaining and murmuring that why am I leaving the family. You know what I mean? When there's times when you get a phone call at 2 a.m. or whatever it might be, your wife has to understand and see that calling be 100% behind it. And it's got to be the same way with your children as well. A man who cannot rule in his own house, how can he rule in the church? So the priority of ministry is primarily ministering to the Lord. Because look what it says. It says in Exodus 28, where God gave this command to Moses. It said that he made holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Well, in that case, it said that he made him garments that he might minister to the Lord. And we talked about this before. Before we can minister for the Lord, we must minister to the Lord. And as I was studying tonight, I was just, or this afternoon, I was just thinking about how the key to effective ministry begins in our intimate one-on-one time with the Lord. The time in prayer, the time in worship, when we spend intimate time in His presence. I cannot be effective in ministry for the Lord if I am not passionate in ministering to the Lord. It's amazing to me that people will try to get up and teach the Bible, but they don't have an intimate relationship with the Lord themselves. Here's the reality. You cannot take people to a place you've never been yourself. Amen? If you, if you don't have a close, intimate relationship with God, you cannot take anyone else there. You know, when I hear of people talking to me about, I've had people ask me, hey, we're interviewing pastors, what, what should we do? I say, you know what, you ask him what his own personal, intimate relationship was like, is like with the Lord. Ask him what the Holy Spirit's doing in his life. Because if it's not active in his own life, he's not going to be able to minister to others. You know, God put it in my heart years ago, the greatest thing I can do to be a better husband, a better father, and a better pastor is to fall more in love with Jesus. When I fall more and more in love with him, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to love my wife, I'm going to serve my wife, and I'm going to minister to her. When I spend more intimate time one-on-one with the Lord, I'm going to be a better dad. Because I'm going to love my kids the way the Lord loves them. He's going to give me wisdom in how to, to lead their lives and to discipline them. They're going to be able to see Christ in my life. You know what, dads, let me encourage you. Your kids watch you more than they listen to you. You know, they hear your words, but they really watch your actions. And they want to see how you act as much as what you say. And it can only come, again, through that intimate time. So in order to minister for the Lord by loving and serving and reflecting Jesus to my wife, my children, and to each of you, I must first minister to the Lord. And so it says in the chapter 28 part of this, it says, He gave them these holy garments first and foremost to minister to the Lord that they might minister for the Lord. And I want to encourage you. If you don't have a devotional life, let me encourage you, please, start each day in the Word and watch and see how your life's going to change. You know what? If you don't have money for a devotional and you want one, I will buy you one. But better yet, just open the Bible and systematically pick a book and read through it every day and watch what God will do. Your life will be transformed. You'll wake up in the morning with your eyes on Him, ministering to Him. Get all the secular music out of your car and throw it in the garbage heap and turn off the, the, uh, the other radio stations and put on some worship music and worship Jesus all the way to work and find out what kind of person you are when you get to the office. Amen? You're going to be different. Your eyes are going to be different. You know what? The holy garments were to minister to the Lord before they ministered for the Lord. And here's the reality. We've been clothed in righteousness. Amen? We walk around in the holy garment of this, the body that we live in because God has clothed us in His righteousness. And He clothed us in it first and foremost that we might minister to the Lord. And as we minister to the Lord, a natural outpouring will be that, that torrent of living water flowing out of us to minister for the Lord. So these holy garments were holy, it says there. And, and the reason that they were holy is that they were garments, again, set apart for use 
for the kingdom of God. Aaron's garments consecrated him to minister to those around him. Verse 2. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. Now, what is an ephod? An easy way to think of it, it's kind of like an apron. Something you put, it came over the top of your head, and it was like an apron. And you had a garment underneath it, and it went over the top. But when people wore an ephod, it was a symbol or a picture of authority. It would almost be like somebody today wearing a badge or having army stripes on, on their shirt. They would, you would know and recognize, okay, he's got a bunch of stripes or he must be a man of authority. You know, somebody wearing a badge, you recognize that's authority given to him. And the same was true. If somebody had an ephod on, it was a picture of authority. And again, it's interesting that it says there that it's made of, of the gold, purple, uh, red and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It's made of the same material as the gate, the door, the veil, and the bottom layer of the tabernacle. And here's why. Because all authority comes from God. Amen? The ephod represents authority. It's made of the same material as a picture of Christ, the veil itself, because all authority comes from God. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Dave. What about my jerk boss at work? Are you telling me that authority comes from God? The answer is yes. Romans 13 tells us to submit to every authority that God has placed over us. So if a guy pulls you over and you're murmuring, murmuring and complaining, first of all, you were speeding and you deserved it, because I very rarely see cops pulling people over that, that were going too slow, right? That's reality. And so you deserved it anyway, and now you're murmuring, now you're blowing your testimony. And just so you know that, and I've shared this before, you don't feel like, you know, I'm preaching at you because... I'm as guilty as anybody. I'll never forget one time, eight, seven, eight years ago, I'm driving to work on the 14 freeway, and that thing was a racetrack. This is down in Lancaster. It's out in the desert. You got 65 miles of nothing. You think you're, you know, people used to tell me, how do you get to Lancaster? They say, drive till you get to nowhere, and then drive 15 miles further, and that's where you'll find it, right? And that's where I lived, okay? And I used to drive 72 miles each way to work, and I remember I was driving to work with a whole bunch of people, and we're all going way too fast. We're all in sin, okay? And we're driving along down the freeway, and all of a sudden, uh, uh, there's a cop out in front of us, and you know what happens when you see a police officer, and everybody's driving too fast, brake lights from here to eternity. Everybody, you know, oh, it must be a police officer. So this guy pulls over, and there's all of us going the same speed, but he picks me out of about 20 cars and pulls me over. So I'm not happy. I mean, you know, I'm in my flesh. And so the guy comes up to the car, and I'm like, I'm copping a little bit of an attitude. I'm not getting angry, but I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, you know, and he starts to talk to me, and, you know, hey, Dave, do you know how fast you're going? I, Mr. Johnson, do you know how fast you're going? I don't know, about the same speed as everybody else, right? <laughs> when confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. You can make excuses, accuse others, or, or repent, right? And I'm making excuses. I'm just going the same speed as everybody else, right? And I'm not, again, I'm not being belligerent or anything, but I'm just like, yeah, whatever, okay. Yeah, write the ticket, right? And right about that time, you know, he's on my passenger side because, you know, the cars are going by real fast on this side. And I happen to have, of course, my Bible open in the front seat because I had been studying it that morning. I just left it open. And, and he looks down, and he had seen my Christian fish on the back and my Calvary Chapel sticker, and now he sees my Bible. And he says to me, you know, Dave, doesn't it say something in Romans 13 about submitting to the authorities that God has placed over you? Oh... Holy Spirit head slap. That's what it felt like. And I was like, oh, please forgive me. You're right. Oh, God, oh, forgive me. Forgive me. You know, so well, you know what? God, every authority has been placed there by God. Amen? And we need to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. And that ephod was made out of that same material to show that authority comes from God. 
Does that mean they're godly? Always. No. Does that mean they even know the Lord? Not necessarily. But God has put them there in our life for a reason, that we might be a testimony to them. By the way, the guy didn't even give me a ticket. He let me go. I couldn't believe it. Verse 3. And, there, and it says, They beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it with the blue, the purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen into artistic designs. Now, gold in the Bible is a type or a picture of what? Remembers. Deity. Remember that? And the gold was beaten and cut. Who do you think this might be a picture of? It's part of that one word uh, thing tonight. Who do you think this is a picture of? Being beaten and cut to be then taken, to, turned into thread and woven in. It's a picture of Christ once again. Wouldn't our Savior be beaten? The answer is yes. Wouldn't He be torn, His flesh torn? Yes, it was. And this is a picture, I believe, of Jesus Christ one more time as they had to take the gold and hammer and beat it and break it down into a fine thread that they might weave it in. Again, a picture or a typology of Christ. And they made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at its two edges. Now, this ephod again went over the top and it, it had an opening on the side, and they put shoulder straps on the top. And it's interesting, as we're going to see in a minute here, that it had two sections joined together, and these shoulder straps held it together at the top. And that will be significant in just a moment. And it says there, verse 5, And the intricately woven band of this ephod that, it was, that was on it was the same workmanship woven of gold and blue and purple and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. It's the second time in the text that we've seen those words. As the Lord had commanded Moses. What did they use as the authority for the way that they built the tabernacle? What did they use as the authority for the calling and the gifting upon their life? How to use it? They used it based upon the Word of God. They took the Word that had been commanded by Moses and they were faithful to do exactly as the Word said. You know what? God has called us, but He also wants us to walk in obedience to His Word. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. As the Word of God said, so must you and I do. Amen? The Word of God is the authority in our lives. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we must have a plumb line. We must have something that we use as the example. Ultimately, that's Jesus Christ and His Word. Because Jesus Christ is the Word, and we're to follow after Him. Now it's interesting that this, this woven band or sash or belt was used to gird the loins. It's even in Ephesians 6, it's referred to as a belt of truth. But they would take this thing and, and they would pull up their, their skirt or their dress, the, the longness of it, because it would get in the way if they were to try to run or to work. And they would pull it up and they would strap this belt around to hold it up on the side so they could freely move around and do the work that they needed to do. And so they would take this thing and it would pull it up. And it's interesting that Jesus girded himself to wash his disciples' feet. And so it's interesting to me that the first thing we see is the ephod, which is a picture of what? Who remembers? Authority. And the sash is a picture of servanthood. And I truly believe that this is such a clear picture of Jesus because he is the ultimate authority. Amen? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, Almighty God. But he's also the greatest servant that there ever was. Amen? And you know what? To me, you see that he's, also, that he's both Lord of all and servant of all. And so these first two implements of this priestly garment that point to Jesus Christ, we see authority and we see servanthood. Could there be two things that describe our Savior anymore? If we are to have authority in our homes, in our jobs, in our church, that authority must be linked with servanthood. 
You know what? Men, guys, I want to encourage you again. You know, and those of you who aren't married yet, learn this lesson now. When you get married, a lot of times I hear guys say to me, my wife just won't submit. Well, guess what? That's not the way that the, the verse is written. Read the rest of it. It says, the wives are to submit to their husbands, but husbands are to treat the wife or to love the wife the way that Christ loves the church. That he, might, that he gave himself for her. We need to be servants in our home, laying down our lives for our wives. If I'm laying down my life for my wife, it's very easy for her to come alongside me. Amen? And allow me to lead in my home because I'm leading by serving. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, the Bible says, learn to be the servant of all. Jesus was the ultimate authority and the ultimate servant. And remember this, that humility is not thinking little of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. You know what? We get ourselves in the equation and we mess it all up. We need to think about, what does God want to do here? How does God want to use my relationship with my next door neighbor? What does God want to do with the potential layoffs at work? What does God want to do with the fact that I've been diagnosed with cancer? What does God want to do in the midst of this difficulty in my life? Remember again that we're here to point people to Him. How do you, want, how do you know if you're a servant? How do you know if you're a servant? Let me tell you how you know. How do you respond when someone treats you like one? That's how you know if you're a servant. Man, what's that guy think? I am a servant? Uh, yeah, that's what you are. Amen? And you know what? Every time somebody calls me this, and just so you know, when every one of you calls me Pastor Dave, all I think of is Servant Dave, because that's what pastor means. It means servant. It means under rower. It's the guy at the bottom of the boat. You guys are not here to honor me. I'm here to serve you. Amen? And that's what pastor means, okay? And so, servant. How do you find if you're a servant? By how you respond when someone treats you like one. In the first century church, they lived with urgency, serving and shining brightly for Jesus. They turned the world upside down by serving, by watching, by having lamps that were burning for Him. And, the God, and God wants us to do the same. Verse 6. And they set two onyx stones enclosed on the settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel as the Lord God had commanded Moses. We seeing a theme here? We're being obedient to the Word of God. The Word of God is the authority. That's what we look to. We don't look to the, the principles of the denomination. We don't seek after the popularity of men. We don't have a vote to figure out what's the best thing to do. What does the Bible say? You know, I, I've had more people give me grief. Man, what is the Bible? Why do you always go back to the Bible? Let me think. Uh, God wrote it. Creator of the universe, Alpha and Omega. I'm thinking He knows a little more than you. Right? Amen? And I've had people tell me, well, God told me this, and it's contrary to the Word. Well, no. So either, the, either God's a liar, or you are, I'm thanking you. Amen? And so often people come, I want to encourage you. You know what? Seek counsel from the Word. Seek direction from the Word. I told you guys last week that I'm going to be quitting my job, and I'll be here full-time March 1st. And you know what? I prayed and asked God to give me specific verses from His Word to confirm that that was His will, and He gave them to me. Pray and ask God to do that. He will give you direction from His Word. His Word is sufficient. And these two shoulder straps, it's interesting, these onyx stones were on the shoulders of the high priest. Now why in the world would these onyx stones be on their shoulders? And it shows that there's 12, these 12 tribes of Israel were engraved on these onyx stones that set on the shoulders of the high priest. First of all, they were stones. And the reason for that is that Jesus Christ is the rock upon which we stand. Amen? Second of all, they were on his shoulders. What did Jesus say? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who is it that carries our burden? 
Who's the great high priest that carries the burden of our sin upon his shoulders? It's Jesus Christ, amen? And so we've been forgiven, and he's paid the price, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And I said it Sunday morning, you know, Christianity is not a black robe with a wheelbarrow full of rules and heaven at the end, amen? It's not, oh, yeah, I've got to be a Christian. Oh, what a drag. You know, every three steps, smacking yourself in the face with a board. Oh, oh. You know, and a lot of people think that that's how you earn God's favor. I have to be miserable. I have to walk around like I look like I've been sucking on lemons all day. You know, I, hey, you, you love the Lord. Oh, you've got to be miserable. No, we should have the joy of the Lord, amen, because we've been forgiven, and He is carrying the burden for us. We're no longer under the bondage of sin anymore. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so this is a picture of that great high priest that He has taken the burden of our sin upon His shoulders, and we no longer are under that burden. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, he would say, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 8, he moves on to the breastplate. So we've seen the ephod, and now we're going to move on. And we've seen the, the sash or the girdle, and now we're moving on to the breastplate. And he made the breastplate artistically woven like a workmanship of the ephod of gold and blue and purple, scarlet thread and fine woven linen. Again, pointing to Jesus Christ, pointing again to his deity. They made the breastplate square by doubling it. A span was its length and a span its width, which was doubled. So it was basically nine inches by nine inches square. So on, on the front of this ephod, there was this breastplate. It was very small, nine inches by nine inches. Some of you probably have, maybe have a Bible. It's got a picture of it in it. Okay, and so this little, this little uh, breastplate was on the ephod. And what was on the breastplate? Let's take a look in the next five verses here. And they set it in four rows of stones. A row of sardis and topaz and emerald was on the first row. A second row of turquoise, a sapphire and a diamond. The third row, the jacinth, an agate and an amethyst. The fourth row, a beryl, an onyx and a jasper. And they were enclosed in the settings of gold in their mountings. There were twelve stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names, engraved like a signet, each with its own name according to the twelve tribes. So on it were these twelve stones. In four rows going across, three stones across each one, all the way up and down, all these beautiful, radiant colors, these beautiful stones. Now what in the world does this mean? Each stone had its own gem. And here's why. Because each is beautiful, they're all valuable, and yet different. Each refracting light in a different way. Each near the heart of the great high priest. You're all, you've all been called by God. If you've been born again, you're called. Once He saves you, He calls you into salvation, and then He calls you all into ministry. He's given you gifts as soon as you were born again. Now you've been given those gifts, how are you going to use them for His kingdom? You're all, there's one universal calling, but there's individual gifting. Praise God for that. You look around this room, and we'll talk about this in a minute, and all the things that go on at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz happen because there's so many people with so many different gifts all being faithful to use them. And so all of these gems are near and dear to the heart of the great high priest, but they're all precious, but they're all different. I love that. God made us all different. We're not all robots. He didn't make us all the same, but we're all precious to Him. We're all near and dear to His heart. And what I love about gems is they reflect light. And so who is the light of the world? It's Jesus Christ. And what ought we to be doing as those gems that are near and dear to His heart? We, must, we should be illuminating and reflecting the light of God through our lives to the world around us. Every believer here has been founded on the rock, the same foundation. But every one of us here is a gem. A gem that God esteems, that He values, and as the light of the world that He reflects to you. 
It's interesting that your name is engraved over his heart. And also it says in Isaiah 49 that your name is engraved on the palm of his hands. Isaiah 49 says your name is engraved on the palm of his hands. What happened to his hands? They were pierced by the nails. And your name was engraved there. He carries your burden and you're on his heart. He carries your burden upon his shoulders and you are precious to him and you are upon his heart. This is not the God of the world with a lightning bolt up in the sky waiting to smoke you when you make a mistake. If that were the truth, we'd all be a big pile of ashes. Amen? But He's a loving and a gracious God who values you above all else. The Bible says it refers to you as His treasured possession. He loves you so much that He was willing to come and leave perfect heaven and come to earth and die for you. He'd rather die than live without you. That's how much He loves you. Salvation is common, and we have it in common, but we have uh, different and unique gifts. Jesus, again, sees you as a gem. So what is the application for us? May we see through our Savior's eyes of compassion, and may we see the world around us as gems. Instead of looking at people and, and being grieved by them or saying they're worthless, look at them and say, you know what, that person right there is so valuable that Jesus would rather die than live without them. Next time you see somebody that disgusts you, somebody that you struggle with, say, you know what? Jesus loves them so much that he'd rather die than live without them. How valuable are they? It's determined on what was willing to be paid for them. And Jesus died on the cross that they might have eternal life. I love the fact that Jesus knows me best and loves me most. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done, and he still loves me. The things that nobody else in the world knows about you, God knows. And you know what? He still loves you more than anyone else who's ever lived. That's the God that we serve. Jesus loves you just as much as He loves Billy Graham, as much as He loves David or Abraham or Peter or Mary. But I want to say this too, that He loves the homeless guy down on the mall as much as He loves you. Amen? He loves you as much as anyone who's ever lived, but He loves the, the person that you might look down upon with disdain every bit as much as He loves you. And we start to see through his eyes, and we start to see people as gems, and we start to see them as precious. You know what's going to happen? We're going to fall in love with people. We're going to start having a burden for people. We won't view people as a, something that gets in our way. We won't view people as, a, as something that takes away our time. Ministry is people. Amen? That's what it's all about. If Bill hears me say that one more time, he's going to choke me, right? I say that like ten times a day. Ministry is about people. Sometimes people will call, and maybe I'm studying, and the guy's like, Dope, bro. I'm like, man, someone's on the phone. I'm talking to them. Why? Because ministry is people. And as soon as we forget that, as soon as we start being inconvenienced by, by people, we've missed it. We're, he's precious. We're precious to him. He carries his, our burdens on his shoulder. We're near and dear to his heart. We're precious gems to him. And he wants to reflect through us with the unique gifts that he's given each one of us. Now it looks at verse 15 through 21. And they made chains for the breastplate on the ends, like braided cords of pure gold, gold again deity. They made two settings of gold, two gold rings, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two braided chains of gold and two rings on the ends of the breastplate. And the two ends of the two braided chains they fastened in the two settings, and they put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. And they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which was on the inward side of the ephod. They made two other gold rings and put them on the shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the, of the ephod. 
And they bound the breastplate by the means of the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, blue again, deity, heavenlies, so that it would be above the integrally woven band of the ephod, that the breastplate would not come loose from its ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. What's the authority again? The Word of God. And they go through all this detail just to tell you that they took this breastplate and they fastened it to the ephod. The ephod again, a picture of the great high priest, our Savior Jesus Christ. And then they used a blue and a gold cord. They used gold and blue. Again, both pictures of deity, showing that the breastplate is fastened to the ephod through the sun. Okay? What fastens that, that us to that authority? What joins us in and makes us a part of, a, of that great high priest? What draws us near to his heart? It's only through these these braids, these things that draw us near to Him that again are pictures of Christ. Because only through Christ may we be near and dear to the heart of the Father. Amen? Only through this, His shed blood on the cross may we know Him. Only way that we can. Only one way God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way. The high priest carried the tribes of Israel before God on his shoulders, a place of carrying the burden, and over his heart, a place of love and, a comp- and compassion. Move on to verse 22. It says, he made the robe of the ephod of woven work all of blue. Now this robe was worn underneath the ephod. This is the robe underneath, and then the ephod went over the top, a picture of authority, but the basic robe worn underneath that extended well below his knees, again, blue, a picture of the heavenlies. Why is that? Because the Bible tells us that our, that our Savior's heart, he was heavenly minded. You know what? I've heard people say that, oh man, that guy's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I think that's the weakest thing I've ever heard. I think the problem is that we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. Amen? We're so focused on our house and our stuff and our job and the relationship and everything else that we'd never look at the Lord. I can't imagine someone looking at the Lord so much that they have no impact on the world. That's weak. That's a statement that someone makes and says, oh man, you go to church too much, man. Why don't you dial it down, dude, man? You're, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You need to be focused on the world. No, I don't think so. I need to be focused on Jesus Christ. I need to be just totally in love with Him. And when I'm in love with Him, I'm going to love what He loves. And He sees the world as gems. They're precious to Him. He loves them. So I'm going to love people the way that He loves me if I'm spending time in His presence. And so this this. Blue robe is a picture, again, of the heavenlies. If you're not heavenly minded, you'll get bogged down with the cares of this world. You know what? I say it all the time, and I, and I say it a lot of times for myself, as an encouragement to me. But I'll, I'll talk to one of you, and I know many of you will re- relate to this. I'll talk to you, and you're going through a difficult time, and I'll say to you, you're going to heaven, right? How many, how many of you have ever said that to you before? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> you're going to heaven, right? And you'll go, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. And all I'm trying to do, duh, like you don't know that. But here's the thing. I want to, I, I'm trying, I do it for myself too. I'll be sitting in my car, something's going on. You're going to heaven, right? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. When, when we realize where we're going to spend eternity, the stuff in the temporal doesn't matter anymore. Amen? It's not that big a deal. Somebody told in my car, you know what? It's a deck chair on the Titanic and the ship is sinking. Amen? Does it matter? Why would we fight over deck chairs on the Titanic? Let's get on a lifeboat and get to shore. Amen? I mean, let's be focused on where we're going, not on the stuff we're losing in the temporal. And we need to set our mind on things above, be heavenly minded and focused on Him. Verse 23. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe, like the opening 
in a coat of mail. And that was a real flexible, uh, like gold that was used by armor, like armor for, by armies. The Egyptians used it quite a bit. Matter of fact, when, when uh, David fought Goliath, it says Goliath was wearing a coat of mail, something very similar to this, although his were, weighed 125 pounds. It says, with woven blinding all around the opening so that it would not tear. Later we'll see in other texts that they, they use that for judgment. The high priest would reach in and they had stones called the Urim and the Thummim. And they would bring them out, and depending on which stones came out would be God's answer to their prayer. Because remember again, back then they didn't have the completed revelation of the Word of God like we do. You know, they couldn't just say, well, Ephesians 6 says. They didn't have no Ephesians. As a matter of fact, at this point they had nothing, but the Word delivered directly to Moses. And they were being obedient to the Word that they had. And that's, they're being faithful because of it. Verse 24. The made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine woven linen. Verse 25. And they made the bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe to minister in as the Lord had commanded Moses. Again, are we seeing real clearly where the authority comes from? It's from the Lord. Now you might wonder to yourself, why in the world on the hem of the priest's garment would they put pomegranates? Why not oranges or apples or pears or what, what in the world pomegranates for? And it's interesting, I shared this with you when we looked at Exodus 28. The pomegranate has more seeds in it than any other fruit in existence. And how many of you have ever opened up a pomegranate before? First of all, it's nothing but seeds. And second of all, it is a mess. Ever eaten a pomegranate and you, and you know, put on a white shirt and eat a pomegranate, right? I mean, game over, right? You're just going to look like... But here's the thing. Those seeds that are in them are filled with a blood-red fruit, right? And when you open them up, what happens? They burst. When you eat them, they burst in your mouth. And you know what? It's a picture of that through the shedding of blood is the producing of fruit. This is the, this is the, the fruit that has more seeds than any other fruit in existence. Do you think it's by chance that that's on the hem of the high priest's garment? Absolutely not. Why? Because the work of the high priest is going to bear much fruit. And you know what? Some of that fruit of the high priest, the work that he's done, it's sitting in the chairs in this room tonight. Amen? You're some of the fruit that those pomegranates pointed to. It's the people sitting in these chairs. Because when Jesus died on the cross and said, To Talisti, it is finished. And then he cried out to each one of you and he gave you that opportunity to come to know him in a personal and intimate way. That, that universal opportunity to come to know Christ. When you responded and said, yes, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be on the throne of my life. You become part of the fruit of that work upon the cross. The work of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. So here, all this back time back, something pointing to you as many other things in the word also do. Only the high priest could go into the holy place, and they couldn't see him. So how did they know if the, holy, uh, if the great high priest like, fell over dead in the, in the holy place? Because nobody else could go in there. If they went in, they would die. Only those wearing the priestly garments, only, wearing, only those wearing all the, the, the ephod and everything could walk into that, that holy of holies on that day of atonement and sprinkle the blood on the ark. And no one else could go in. So how would they know if he was still there? That's why there were bells on his hymn. When he would walk around doing ministry, they could hear him moving. They couldn't see him, but they could hear him. And isn't this yet another picture of Jesus Christ? I've never seen him in the flesh. 
but I've felt him and I've heard him and I've seen his work. Amen? I've seen the things that he does. I've never, I've never seen the wind, but I felt the wind. Amen? And as he would move around, the high priest would move around. They could hear him in there, even though they could not see him at work. Verse 27. They made tunics, artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his son. Now these were long white coats worn beneath the robe of the ephod. So you've got the ephod on top, underneath it you've got this blue robe, and then underneath that you've got this white long tunic. Now, the white represents righteousness. And this high priest would then be righteous or holy. Now the only reason that these high priests were holy is because of the work of Christ. But the high priest that they point to is holy. Amen? And it's Jesus Christ. It's pointing to Him. Now these guys were righteous not because of right living, but because of right standing. Now let me ask you a question. How many people in this room tonight are holy? Raise your hand. If you're holy. If you're a Christian, your hand ought to be up. <laughs> Trick question, kind of. Here's why. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. Why are you holy? You know, I had someone say that to me one time. Yeah, and you, what are you, some kind of holy Joe? Well, no, I'm actually, I'm a holy Dave. Right Now, I'm not holy. I'm not holy because of my work, of the work I've done, or because I'm like a piece of Swiss cheese. Right? I'm not holy because of that. I'm holy because of my standing before God. And I am in right standing before God because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. When we stand before Him on Judgment Day, He's going to look at us through the shed blood of Christ, and He's going to say, Enter in, my good and faithful servant. Amen? You are holy because of your right standing with Christ. You know what? I, I love Air One. I don't know if you guys listen to Air One. I love Air One. And they have this, one, they have this thing where they do these little, I don't know what you call them, and they, little skits or whatever. They're real short, and they're, some of them are really funny. But that one guy standing before God, and he's going to be judged for his good works. He says, how many points do I need to get into heaven? He said, a thousand. He said, okay, great. Well, I was married to my wife. I loved her, and I was faithful to her for 40 years. How many points do I get for that? Two. Oh, man. Well, what about the time when I ran into that building and I saved that baby from the burning building? How much do I get for that? One point. Oh, man. What about the fact that I gave to charity and I was a really good guy? Two more. Uh, how many points do I need? A thousand. How many do you have? Five. Oh, man. Hey, he's, and he's like, man, that's all the good stuff. Man, I was really counting on that, saving that baby from the burning building. Man, I'm in big trouble. How, do, how does anybody get in? He said, they don't take the test. <laughs> what do you mean? Jesus takes it for him. He's the one that's got a thousand points and more. Amen? But every other man, we try to get there. And here's the reality. If we went out and stood on the street corner right now, and we asked the next 500 people to walk by, do you think you're going to heaven? My, my guess would be that 495 of them would say yes, if not more. Amen? But then if you asked them, why do you think you're going to heaven? They would say, well, because I've done good things. Well, I'm a good person. I never killed nobody. You know, I'm not Charles Manson. You know, we, they start comparing ourselves to the, the evil end of the scale instead of the righteous end. But we can be made holy not because of the good things that we do, but because of the good work that He did for us on the cross. He paid the price so that we don't have to. He took the test for us. Thank you, Jesus. It says in verse 28, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen. Now, they would put and cover their head. The high priest would cover his head with fine linen. Now, in the Bible... Wearing a hat or wearing a covering was a representation of submission. Now, the Bible tells us today that we are not to pray with our heads covered. Men are not to pray with our heads covered. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our covering. Amen? 
We're covered by Him. You ever notice you go into some churches and, you know, and, and they'll pray and they'll take their hats off? But I'm not, that's not that big. Here's the thing, though. Christ is our covering. Amen? He has paid the price. And so, but then they didn't have that covering yet. They were waiting for that covering that was to come. And the great high priest, again, was a picture of Jesus Christ who is our covering. And so they would wear these, these turbans or these hats upon their head as a picture of submission. So again, Jesus is God. He's the great high priest, but he's also submitted to the will of the Father. And so again, it points to Jesus Christ, making intercession on behalf of his people. Verse, rest of verse 29. Or 28. It says, short trousers of fine woven linen. So under the ephod, under the robe, under the tunic was basically the equivalent of underwear, trousers. And they would wear these trousers made of white. And it's interesting to me that they're made out of white because this was the part that was, that was out of the view of every single man, except they were still clothed in righteousness. And what this, I believe, is a picture of is, you know, the Bible talks about or teaches us from the Word that reputation is what we do when people are watching, but character is who we are when no one's watching. And the reality is that God sees into the deep secrets of our heart. Amen? He sees everything. And as the, our great high priest, even where man could not see, was holy and perfect. And so too do we become when we make him our Lord and our Savior and our King. And so these white trousers are a picture of the part that no one else sees. And even in that, our great high priest is perfect. It's thought life, everything. He's perfect, he's holy, he's God. Praise God for that. And that's an example for us, that we are to be men and women of character. Not just doing good things when people are watching, but who are we when no one's watching? And a sash of fine woven linen with blue and purple and scarlet thread made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. One more time. The sash again would be like a girdle. And again, it was made of blue and purple and scarlet, a picture of Jesus. And it was the part that held the tunic and the trousers in place. They put this thing on. So what, what held the righteousness, the underlying righteousness of the man, the part that no man could see? How could that be white, the part underneath the robe? How could the trousers be white? Because they were held together by the sash, which is, that's again, a picture of Christ with the blue and the red and the purple and the white. Man, you've got to love the Bible and how intricate that they're making these garments. They have no idea what it points to. They're making these garments, they're, doing the ta- they're putting the tabernacle together, they still don't have a clue what it means, and here we are thousands of years later, and we can fully understand that it's a clear picture of Jesus Christ. We're almost done, verse 30. Then they made the plate of, uh, plate, made the, plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraver of the signet, Holiness to the Lord. And they tied a blue cord to fasten it above the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. So they put the equivalent of a crown and they put it on the turban and they fastened it with blue cords, again a type or a picture of Christ, and it said on the, on its, on the top, holiness to the Lord. Now, holiness was engraved on his forehead. It was a declaration that's essential in worship. I believe that before we can worship, we need to attribute holiness to the Lord. I love songs where we cry out that He's holy. Amen? It's one of the things I pray every morning. You are holy, righteous, just, perfect, true. That's who you are. Amen? When you talk about the attributes of God, I believe as you pray, that's worship. And they're attributing holiness to the Lord. Our great high priest is holy. He's perfect. He is set apart. He's God. 
Amen? And when we are grafted into Him, when, we are, when, his sin, when He pays for our sin, then we too become holy. A reminder again that the high priest and all others that approach God, it's only possible through holiness. The only way we can approach God is in holiness, just like I've been talking about, and that can only come through Jesus Christ. We, get, we must approach Him with reverence and with holiness. Holiness also, it's interesting, was upon His head. The Bible tells us very clearly when you see Jesus Christ that holiness was always on His mind. He said, be holy for I am holy. And too many people today think Christianity is based on what you believe. But it really should be based upon not what we believe, but how we live out what we believe. Amen? It's one thing to say, I believe in the sanctity of marriage and be cheating on my wife. Then I don't really believe it. Amen? It's another thing to say that I believe in serving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I give Him 15 minutes or an hour a week. That's not really living out what we say. It's not just giving God lip service, but it's living the life according to what we've been taught in His Word. 31. And they tied it to it blue cords, and again, as the Lord God had commanded. The blue cord of deity used to attach holiness or the crown. As the Lord God commanded Moses, in obedient to God's word, again, several times in the text. So let me go through the priestly garments really real quick. The ephod points to authority. The sash or the girdle, you know, that would pull up the, the robe, points to servanthood. The breastplate points to compassion as he carries our burdens upon himself. The robe, the blue robe, points to deity. The tunic underneath points to righteousness. The turban on his head points to submission. And the trousers underneath that are made of white points to character. So when you have authority, servanthood, compassion, carrying of our burdens, deity, righteousness, submission, and character, who in the world are we talking about? It's Jesus. Amen. Let me finish up. And then it says here, I'm going to just read through this. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. So they did the work. And the children of Israel did according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The covering of ram skin dyed red. Who's that a picture of? The ram skin dyed red. Who's that a picture of? It's Jesus. His shed blood upon the cross. It says also, the badger skins. Who do the badger skins a picture of? Who remembers why? The Bible says that he was no, of no comeliness that we should desire him. He was very plain in appearance. But yet these badger skins once again point to Jesus Christ. The veil of the covering. Who's the veil a picture of? Jesus Christ. Verse 35. The ark of the testimony with its poles and its mercy seat. Remember the ark. The ark again in that most holy of holies. It was the, one, it was the thing that inside the ark it had the manna. It had the staff of Aaron. And it had the Ten Commandments, the manna, the bread of life pointing to Jesus. The staff of Aaron, the great high priest, pointing to Jesus. The Ten Commandments or the Word, again, pointing to Jesus. So who's the ark a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. On top of the ark was the mercy seat, covered in gold. The mercy seat had angels on both ends. We've talked about the fact that without mercy, we could not view the law. That's why the mercy seat covers the law. And so, here's the good news. What happened on Resurrection Sunday? When they came in and they looked down into the, into the um, tomb, they saw angels at his feet and at his head where Jesus had laid, and in the middle they saw blood there and his, his grave clothes all in a pile. And what did they do when they went into the ark? What did they sprinkle on the mercy seat? Blood in the middle of the seat. So when you looked into the tomb, you saw a picture of the mercy seat above the ark. One more time, a picture of who? A picture of Jesus Christ. Man, I'll tell you what, if you're reading this and you don't see Jesus in here, 
Man, we need, we need a little help here. And the sad part is people will skip over these chapters because they'll say, oh, it's just about how to build a tent. If I want to learn how to build a tent, I'd go down to Orchard Supply and get, a, you know, get something out and read about how to build a tent. You know what? Here's the reality. that Every bit of this points to Christ. If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason. And I love when I read a chapter the first time and I go, huh? Because I love the fact that God wants me to go back and dig deep and find out what He's trying to tell me. Amen? We need to be students of the Word, like the Bereans, studying to see if these things are so. Biblical literacy is the biggest problem in the church today. Verse 36. The table and all its utensils and the showbread. Showbread, the bread of life, provision for the hunger of man. Who's that? It's Jesus. Verse 37. And it says there, And the pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamps set in order, and all its utensils, and the oil for the light. Who is the light of the world? It's Jesus Christ. And the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38. The gold altar and the anointing oil and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door. The golden altar, remember, that's the altar of incense. Who is the intercessor that is seated at the right hand of the Father? One more time, it's Jesus Christ. This is also the screen of the tabernacle. That's that very first door. Remember again, the tabernacle goes all the way around. There's only one way in. And that only way in was this blue and purple and scarlet and white and had the angel's woman in it. And the only way you could get into the tabernacle was to go through that door, which shows again that there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, there's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved, and the name is Jesus. Pastor Dave, you're beating us to death with this, but that's okay. I want you guys, I want if somebody walks up to you, if the Lord tarries five years from now, and asks you something about the tabernacle, that you'll say, oh man, it's all about Jesus. That's what I want. I want someone to say, lampstand, oh, light of the world, that's Jesus. Amen? I want you guys to just know that you know that you know when you read the Old Testament that it points to Jesus Christ. And you know what? When you talk to Jewish people especially, this is a great opportunity Take them to the tabernacle and show them that it points to Jesus. Again, I don't think we can talk about Jesus enough. It should never get old. He's a wonderful Savior. The bronze altar, it's great of bronze. It's poles and all its utensils, the laver with its base. Remember the bronze altar? The bronze altar, the first thing you saw after you came into that one door in, that great big barbecue out front where the sacrifices were being made. Who is the Lamb of God? Who's the sacrifice that paid the price? Again, it's Jesus Christ. Beyond that was the laver. Remember the bronze laver? We looked at it last week. It's a place after the blood was upon the priest, after they'd made the sacrifice, they would go and cleanse themselves. And I love the fact that they cleansed themselves, and in the laver they saw the mirrors. It said the women gave their mirrors. Now the mirror in the Bible is a representation of the Word. The Bible says the Word is a mirror, right? reflects to us. It's a taskmaster that drives us to the cross. So this very word that both, that, that cleanses us also judges us. It makes us see our need for a Savior and it's the same place that we go for that perfect cleansing. Verse 40. The hangings of the court, its pillars, its sockets, the screen for the court gate, its cords, its pegs, its utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting. Again, the tabernacle, I'm not going to take a lot of time, but remember that it had layers. The bottom layer was perfect. It was that same material, one more time, the blue and the red and the scarlet. But above it was black goat's hair. You guys remember that? And that black goat's hair was a picture of sin. Then above that were the ram skins dyed red, and then above that were the badger skins. So remember that the perfection lied beneath. But then there was sin that was above it. And to pay for that sin's price, there had to be the shedding of blood. 
But then above it was the badger skin so that when people walked by, they didn't think the tabernacle was anything special. Only those that entered the most holy place were able to see the glory of God. And only those of us who've given our lives to Him can truly see how glorious and wonderful our God is. Amen? And the world looks from the outside and does not understand. The silver sockets there point to redemption. The screen of the court, again, that door. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Again, the priestly garments, it says here in 41, and the garments of the ministry to the minister of the holy place, the holy garments of Aaron the priest, his son's garments to minister as priests. Again, the, the linen trousers pointing to his righteousness and his character, the girdle of servanthood, the turban of submission, the robe of deity, the breastplate of compassion, the ephod of authority, all of it points to Jesus. Verse 42, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work in obedience to the word of God. Who's the word? It's Jesus. The worship team will come on up. Verse 43. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. You know what? God calls us, He equips us, He provides for us, and then He blesses us for simply responding to Him in obedience. Why did Moses bless them? Why did Moses bless these guys when they came? He blessed them because they responded in obedience to God. They did exactly as the Word told them to do. And too often we want to get another opinion. You know, we want to go out and seek the counsel of men instead of just trusting God's Word to be sufficient for everything that we need. It's the answer to everything. So in conclusion, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What is God calling you to do? What is he call, what's the calling on your life? What's He calling you to do? He saved you, not so you could be a pew potato and the biggest, fattest, most healthy sheep around. He called you to use you for His glory. Respond in obedience, and when we respond, God is glorified and we get blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for just the clear picture, once again, that the Old Testament points to the coming Messiah in their day, and the Messiah who has come, and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And we thank You, Lord, that we don't just know about a faraway distant God, but that we are near and dear to Your heart. And that, you des- that we are gems to You. We're precious to You. And You desire, Lord, by the power of Your Holy Spirit to shine brightly through us. And Lord, I just pray, Father God, that we would love You above all else. That we would minister to You so that we might minister for You. So Lord, we love You. We praise You. We worship You, Lord. You're such a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand up and close our worship song.